Well, tonight we're ready for Jude 17, so we'll be looking at Jude 17 through 19, three verses. As you turn there in your Bibles towards the end of the whole Bible, second to the last book, we're reminded it's just one chapter. As you turn there, I want to tell you a little bit about my childhood. My family didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. TV was around. It had been for a couple decades by then. I grew up mostly late 70s, early 80s. I graduated from high school in 1990. In fact, I was only allowed to watch a few hours a week those shows that my mother circled in the TV schedule. I frankly, when I grew up, was rather shocked as a young man to learn that a lot of people went to church on TV. They were called televangelists. Today it's called the internet or streaming. And I was shocked in those days to learn that not all of those preachers would preach the gospel. Not all of those preachers were true teachers, faithful to the word of God. In the 80s or 90s, we found out that many of them were frauds, many of them were false teachers, and some of them were much worse. What should we do about that? Should it turn us away from the church altogether? Jude tells us, no. In fact, the reason for writing the letter is not just to tell us there's going to be false teachers, but to tell us what to do about it. Here's what he says, beginning at verse 17, which gives kind of a transition into the next section of this letter. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. I'm going to pause there, not because we have to, but because I want to for the purpose of this series. Let's bow briefly in prayer. Lord, let these words fall upon ears that hear, hearts that understand. Lord, let us apply these words as a church and as the people of God in submission to you. Let us apply them to our current context to be reminded of where we are in the kingdom and what our duties are. I pray all these things. I pray that the words, thoughts, attitudes of our hearts might all be pleasing in your sight and consistent with your word or pass away, not to be heard from again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I have to say, if Jude was a very different type of literature, perhaps if it was a novel by Herman Melville and Moby Dick and so forth, I don't think it'd be so short, do you? In fact, if it was Herman Melville writing these words, even if he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was a human agent that God would use his gifts and talents. It might even be the longest book in the entire Bible if he's the one that wrote it, even though it has one topic. He would have spent probably 300 pages describing the false teachers, not just a few mere verses that Jude does. But Jude did that. He took some time to develop what these false teachers were like and what the church should expect in having them, first of all, looking at false teaching, especially denying authority in the church and authority that God has put together, and living large.
largely a promiscuous lifestyle, greedy and lustful. We are reminded by these descriptions of false teachers of the fact that they have a sad existence in the church. You see, Jude is telling us we're going to have them. It's not if you see somebody like this or if you might encounter someone like this. He's describing the fact that it is a reality that in these last days you will have false teachers. Now how should the church react? Verse 17 is the transition to this part of the letter which connects to the main theme of the letter of Jude, contend for the faith. Here in these first few verses, in this section, verses 17 through 23 particularly, he gives us three things that we should do. First of all, remember the warnings. Secondly, expect the hypocrisy. And thirdly, consider the signs. First of all, it says, you must remember, beloved. Now it's interesting that he uses the term remember, isn't it? He doesn't say, you must be aware, or you must be ready, or you must be on the lookout. He says, you must remember. What must they remember? He says, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives what they are. When they remember the warnings, first of all, he says, these are from the apostles or by the apostles, these predictions or these warnings, these things that they said were going to happen. These are prophecies. It's interesting here that he describes this as coming from the apostles. These are people like James and John and Peter and all the rest. And he's describing for us that these individuals of recent times were predicting that there would be false teachers in the church. Now, Jude has just gone on to indicate that this was an ancient prophecy, even as far back as Enoch, who was seventh in the line from Adam. And so we're reminded that false teachers were something that was predicted as ungodly people coming into the people of God and causing problems from centuries and centuries ago. But now Jude says, if that's not enough, I want you to know this is just recent right here in this century when Jude wrote this letter. After all, some of them that received this letter might have either known the apostles or an apostle or known someone who was brought to the faith by them. And so here we're reminded this was no ancient only prophecy that had not been fulfilled for centuries and centuries. This was also a recent prediction from ancient to recent times. It was also a contrast, remember, in the last section here of the book of Jude. Jude quoted from a kind of interesting source, the book of Enoch, we think. It was an apocryphal book, not scripture. And so he says, in case you're wondering, I'm not just taking things from this apocryphal literature that does not rise to the standard of scripture. I also am taking it from the very words of the apostles. Perhaps most closely is 2 Peter chapter 3 that's printed at the bottom of your page. 2 Peter 3, 1 through 3, which so closely resembles the verses we're about to read. 
So he's saying, remember the warnings. Remember that this is not something you should be surprised about. This is not something that should necessarily discourage you. This is not something that should antagonize you to the point that you are depressed or you are shocked that this is developing within the church. You were told this from Enoch to the apostles that there would be false teachers. And notice what else it says. It says, they said to you, this is the content of their prophecy. We're not necessarily given an exact quote here, although the closest seems to be second, from Second Peter 3, Peter's words. It says, they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. The last times. Now it's interesting. Sometimes we get caught up in this idea of eschatology, don't we? The last times, the last days, all these things. But did you know that in the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, the most common expression of being in the last times or the last days is that we're already in them. In fact, that we were in them from the time that Jesus ascended up into heaven. So when it says the last days in scripture, sometimes it uses the term former days. The two epochs or time periods divided in scripture were this. The first or former days were from the beginning of time in the pages of Genesis and the chapter 1 of the book of John. From that time until the time of Christ. Those were the former days, the times before Christ came, when God was promising the Messiah to come. But what about the last time or the last days? This is the time from Christ's ascension to his second coming, what we sometimes call the church age. It's a reminder that from this time period, from Jesus' ascension into heaven until the time when Jesus comes back, there are certain things that will characterize the church and the times of the church. What will happen in that time? There will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's already given that this will take place, that in the last times there will be these individuals that cause problems within the church. Now, my family just went on vacation, and we always talk about the Irwin adventures on our vacation. And we had a few adventures this time, even though uh, we spent uh, just one week on a trip. We spent a few days at a wedding, a few days uh, at Mammoth Cave National Park, and then a few days in Memphis at General Assembly. But our time at the National Park, we had some tickets for the older two kids that they were to go on a wild caving tour. Sounded exciting to me. The kids told me it was good that I didn't do it because I may not have kept up with everybody. I don't know. But it was a place where they would spend six hours spelunking in the caves with crawling through tiny spaces and going over chasms and doing all kinds of things, getting wet in the water and all this. It was a wild caving experience. And I got those tickets ahead of time because if you don't, you may not get on the tour. And so we had the tickets for Monday morning. We got up plenty early. I thought we'd get there half an hour before the time of the tickets and the time of the tour. And we got lost. Now, there were warnings on the website. There were warnings on the website. If you come in from the north, which we were doing, don't follow your GPS. There were warnings that it might be difficult to find your way to the entrance. 
And of course, we thought if we have plenty of time, we can always go around or whatever we needed to do. Lo and behold, we didn't realize that this ferry that's on the north entrance was completely closed. And we saw the sign that said it was closed. We thought maybe there's another way around it. We got to where we could not go. We, we missed the tour. We went up to the where we, we found them before they left on the tour. It was about 15 minutes late, and they said, I'm sorry, you cannot go. You see, the website gave warnings to say, pay attention. Know that the last part of your journey may be difficult when you seek to enter the park. Now, the good news was they gave us free tickets for the next day, and we did, they did the tour then. So it wasn't, wasn't totally bad in that respect, in case you're wondering those things. But the warning was there. I don't know how long it was on the website, but we know it's recent because the website hasn't been around for probably 30 years. So it was a recent thing, but it was a reminder, watch out, be prepared, know that you might have difficulty when you come into the park. This is what Jude is doing. He's telling the church. We are, according to the New Testament, in the last days and have been since Christ ascended to heaven. And we're told in Scripture, there will be false teachers. There will be scoffers. There will be immoral people, those who try to sneak into the church and try to upend it and gain followers for their own glory, taking them away from God if that were possible. So when Jude says, remember... Remember the warnings, the predictions. He's reminding us, on the one hand, to be prepared. On the other hand, he's reminding us, this is the way of God's plan until Jesus comes back. So therefore, what should we do? We should also expect the hypocrisy. Notice what these individuals are. Scoffers following their own ungodly passions. What is a scoffer, anyway? He says there will be scoffers. We don't often use that term today. What does it mean to scoff? It means to mock, to make fun of, to belittle, to look down on, something like that. What are they scoffing? Well, we often think of those who just mock religion altogether, don't we? Those who, like a famous person in the past, said that religion is the opiate of the people's. It's ridiculous, but they think they need it. Scoffers like those who would look at religion and say, well, these people are so weak, they need something to, to make their world go. Or those who would just mock the idea of a God who is eternal, or a God who is omniscient, omnipresent, and all of those things. And they would mock that. But the scoffers in the book of Jude mock particularly two things. First of all, they mock holy living. They mock holy living. You see, if you've noticed throughout this letter, Judas used his favorite word, ungodly, many times, hasn't he? There are ungodly people going after their ungodly behavior in their ungodliness. You kind of get that impression from the last section of this, sec uh, of this chapter, verse 15 in particular. He's indicated that they are those who follow their own greed for gain against the people of God, and they also are looking to pervert the, the holy living of the individuals in the church. In other words, they're mocking the idea that people should submit to the lordship of Christ. 
So you see, they're, they're not just mocking holy living and mocking the fact that people need to be pure in their living, particularly in morality and sexual purity, but they're in the end mocking the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ himself. You see, they're looking to have authority. They're looking to be the ones that everybody submits to. They're the ones that want to gain the following in the end. They're the ones who want to gain at the cost of the church. And so therefore, in their teaching, in their lifestyle, in the end, they will be revealed by the hypocrisy of being leaders in the church and teachers who in the end, by their teaching and their leading, are in their lifestyle and teaching, mocking, holy living, and the lordship and authority of Christ himself. So in the end, these scoffers will be immoral people, immoral folks, as it says on the outline. It says they'll be following their own ungodly passions. You know, it's interesting, not 100% of the time, but probably a vast majority of the time, you find out that someone who teaches things opposed to the word of God, in the end, they're living a lifestyle of immorality. And Jude says, we should expect that. Now, one of the other things we did on our trip we know about, particularly if you were here this morning and you went to Sunday school and you heard the pastor talking about all these weird things about General Assembly and all the things that take place there and so forth. But some people are shocked, particularly when a pastor within what we describe as a conservative Bible-believing denomination admits that there are those within the church who deny the power of God to transform believers to be able to follow Christ. And yet, why should they be shocked? This too is scriptural. Jude doesn't say, if you have the right kind of church, you're not going to be able to worry about false teachers because everybody's going to preach the right thing. Jude doesn't say, if you follow the scriptures and you are a conservative, Bible-believing American church in the culture and society of the 21st century as it opposes all of culture at that point in time, because you're standing on the word of God, then you're going to have no false teachers. No. He says, there will be. You must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said in the last time, there will be these scoffers. There will be these immoral, ungodly people. Scoffers who scoff at the plain meaning of scripture. That's perhaps one of the most important points of the church today, is these false teachers will often teach with the same words that we teach, but mean different things. So often in this time of what we call deconstruction, the society and culture that tries to deconstruct everything around them bleed into the church and you begin to have leaders and teachers who deconstruct what scripture says so that when they say something about scripture and somebody else says something about scripture, they don't mean the same thing anymore. The other thing they do is they deny the power of the Holy Spirit. When they're denying the power to change people. We mentioned that in Sunday school this morning. 
the power to change someone from being identified in their sin to being washed and justified by the blood of Christ so that now they are a new creature in Christ, someone who is now able to turn from their sins and follow him. Someone who is no longer identified by their sin, but identified by the grace of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. To deny this is to deny the lordship of Christ and the power of God. But this is not unexpected. This is a comfort to us. In fact, one of the most important things in reading and preparing for this message was where John Benton's words, one of the commentators I'm using, that says, in a bizarre sort of way, we should expect this, and as we expect this, and as we encounter false teachers and false teaching, we should be strangely warmed and comforted because we are aware that God's word is true and his plan has come to pass. False teachers are part of God's plan that the church would survive despite the inner turmoil of those who would take away the sheep if they could. So therefore, we not only remember the warnings and we expect the hypocrisy, we also consider the signs. And here he begins a short description. Remember, he's already given us a little bit longer description. Of course, he's not Herman Melville, but he's Jude, and he's given us some great descriptions and metaphors about what these particular individuals are like. Here he does this again in verse 19. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. First of all, as a reminder, what do they do that cause divisions? They cause division. It may be that they didn't necessarily begin to intend to cause division. After all, they'd like the whole church to follow them, wouldn't they? It may be that they want at all costs to have unity as long as the unity is in their particular version of the truth, which, if they're false teachers, we know is not truth at all. It may be that they came in to cause divisions in order to gain followers so that those who would follow the true teaching of the Lord would stray from that true teaching and follow the charismatic examples of a leader with great talent and precision in teaching. But in the end, what do they do? They cause division. They cause it. And it's sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional, but they cause it because of this. They focus on natural things or worldly things. It says they are worldly people. The word expresses a focus on worldly things apart from the things of the kingdom, things that are not spiritual. They focus on these natural things. I remember at times when I've had the opportunity to counsel others, sometimes people outside the church that come into a pastor and ask if he will help them with a particular situation. Don't often have that opportunity anymore because pastors don't have the same reputation in our society that they used to, do they? We don't have too many people that would come on come in so-called off the streets in order to gain counsel from a pastor. But occasionally still, people will come in and ask the pastor to counsel them. Now, I could give them all kinds of worldly wisdom, couldn't I? I could give them the information like this, pull up your bootstraps. I could tell them all kinds of things. God uh, hates those uh, who hate themselves or something like that. 
I can tell them to have great self-esteem and always look to love yourself first. I could do all kinds of different counseling things according to the world. But that would not be faithful in my calling as a pastor. You see, a counselee coming to the church and to the pastor to be counseled must be counseled to look to the life-changing, transforming power of the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, his teaching, his efforts in all that he does and all the fruit that he exhibits should focus on the power of God to change lives. Not my power to change a life. Not the individual's power to change their own lives. But the power of God to change their life when they come to him in repentance and faith. But you cannot do that with someone who does not have the spirit and focus on spiritual things. This is the third thing. It says they are devoid of the spirit. What does it mean that a false teacher, a scoffer, a mocker of the things of God are devoid of the spirit? It means they don't have the spirit. How can somebody not have the spirit? Basically saying they're unbelievers. You see, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Everyone who turns in repentance and faith to the true God, to Jesus Christ alone for salvation, every single one of them will receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. God loves to give good gifts to his children, particularly the Holy Spirit, who empowers those individuals to live godly lives, who convicts them of sin, who teaches them God's word who reminds them of God's word at just the right occasions, who will at times remind them of the wonders of the gospel. They have all of those things, but a false teacher, someone who is not a part of the flock, is an unbeliever and does not have the Holy Spirit. This is the true division present in the world. This is the true division even present in the visible church. Historically, Theologians have described the church in two ways. First is the visible church, then is the invisible church. The invisible church is the realization that none of us can know what somebody truly believes in their heart. So that there may be those in the visible church, the church that we see, and those individuals like this morning that would come up and answer the questions for membership, exhibiting a public profession of faith. That's the visible church, all those who make those professions of faith. But the invisible church is a recognition that even within the church there's this division. There are those who not only make that profession publicly, but believe it in their hearts and truly have believed upon Jesus alone for salvation. But there are those who really haven't done that. There are even pastors and Sunday school teachers and leaders, even in the most faithful churches and denominations in the entire world, who are unbelievers. And this is the division present even in the church. This is why Jude is reminding us we must constantly be on the alert. We must be reminded again and again of the warnings that there will be false teachers. They will cause divisions. They will cause problems. They will cause upheaval and uproars. They will be interested in their own lusts and greed. They, these things will signify not that the world is coming to an end, not that the church is failing, 
but they will be an indicator that God's word and plan for his people is sure. Because God already told us it was going to happen. I heartily agree with that commentator who describes this presence of false teachers as this bizarre, heartwarming comfort to the church. Jesus told us these wolves would come in. The apostles predicted their interference. Even ancient prophets prophesied about them. They verify God's word by their very presence and remind us that God's plan is sovereign and true. So Jude is writing this letter on the one hand to bring comfort to a church who is experiencing the terrible effects of having false teachers by reminding them this is nothing new, this is part of God's plan. But on the other hand, we're reminded way back in verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Christ. What are we to do? Contend for the faith. Underlying all of this is awareness that these false teachers will come, an awareness that this verifies God's word is true, uh, verifies and understanding that despite the false teacher and all the things that the devil will throw against the church, it cannot prevail because God will inspire by his spirit and word the true believers of Jesus Christ to stand up and contend for the faith, aware that these things are going to happen. Jude is in essence saying, expect the messes. Expect them. Don't be shocked at them. Don't be alarmed at them. Be ready for them. They're coming. And they're here. Contend for the faith. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this teaching, that indeed, just the very presence of false teachers should not upset the church should not cause the doors to close, should not cause us total despair, should not cause us to give up and stop meeting as some are in the habit of doing. But Lord should remind us that your word is true and that Lord we have a responsibility to be those Bereans who search the scriptures to see if what the pastors and teachers are saying is true and to contend for the faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.